Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time. Getting you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is Rudy Carlos filling in for Joe McClain. He is due to come back on Thursday, but until then, you are here with me, Rudy Carlos, and Adrian Fonseca, and our good friend, Mike Koeniger, who's joining us from, uh, Mike, I don't even know where you're, where you're from right now. Newport News, Virginia. Ah, in the so house. you're back in Virginia. Very good. Ah, praise be to God. It was a wonderful weekend. I hope that you are rested, dear listener. Hope you had a fantastic one, and that you sanctified yesterday, sanctified the day, made the day for God. But uh, today is Monday, October the 31st, which means it is Halloween and Hallowtide, the beginning of Hallowtide. And uh, it's also the feast day of St. Wolfgang, who was a bishop, and St. Foyland. Now, today on CDT, we're going to ask the question, we're going to tackle the question. Are women priests and deaconettes in the pipeline? Joe Heschmeyer, a Catholic apologist and speaker over at Catholic Answers, joins us to try and make sense of the synodal way. And didn't St. JP2 sort this out already? That's going to be at 35 past the hour, that conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. And at 15 past the hour, since we're talking about, uh, since today's Halloween, we're going to talk a little bit about Halloween and ask the question, uh, should we hijack the culture? Uh, you know, the, the culture... They want to have uh, skeletons and macabre and all of this crazy, hellish-looking stuff. Should we enculturate some of that and say, maybe make a Halloween hell house to teach people about the reality of hell? We're going to look at an article from Catholic uh, News Agency at 15 past the hour in our What Concerning Us segment. And then in our next hour, we have Tito Edwards with a news roundup from BigPulpit.com. But uh, in any case, Adrian, how was your weekend? Oh, my goodness. It was Amazing! Praise be to God! What a delight! The I went to the uh, TFP conference in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. It was a wow. blast. I was how, afraid you weren't going to be back. It, however, flying is a pain. Uh, I <laughs> ended up. Uh, I was supposed to end up flying in at two p.m. on uh, Friday. Ended up getting there at two a.m. on Saturday. Oh, wow. And so, and then uh, my flight on Sunday was. Uh, I landed in Houston about midnight. So that was a little <laughs> rough. So I'm running on like three hours of sleep right now. Very um, nice. It's, it's not great, but praise be to God, the conference was amazing. And we were graced with uh, his Imperial Royal Highness's presence, Prince Beltran, a descendant of King St. Louis IX, and Unreal. the rightful heir to the role, to the uh, to the uh, seat in Brazil. Amazing. So that was pretty awesome. How did you fare, Mike? Well, I drove back from New England on Saturday, so it was lovely, but but it was a quick trip back. It, it went well, and then yesterday I went to Mass and hung out with the family and caught up on all the things I missed out for a week and a half, so it was it was a great weekend. Now, Mike, you were with the man, the myth, the legend, Joe McClain. How, how is Joe doing on his vacation? It, it looks like he's relaxed. He, he didn't <laughs> miss you guys once. Uh, we did make new friends at St. Stanislaus in uh, Nashua. We we met Father John and his his uh, crew there at that wonderful church. And then we met nice. uh, Father Michael at St. Catherine's, where Joe actually did his talk. So uh, new friends. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to having Joe back. It's going to be fun to catch up with him and see what he's been up to. But there's a lot to get to today on the show, and uh, why don't we begin by offering up 
our day, our work day, our sufferings, our joy to our Lord. And we'll pray this memorare for your holy intentions, dear listener, for the conversion of sinners and for those holy souls in purgatory. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Today is Monday, October the 31st, and here are your headline news this morning. Breitbart reports Paul Pelosi's attacker lived in a Berkeley hippie commune. One of his neighbors said, quote, I wasn't surprised because another crazy story is coming from someone in that house. They're always toxic and always up to something. They're always on the news and trying to be activists. They always want to be in the spotlight. A closer look at the residence of, uh, of DePapey, reportedly slept in, revealed an affinity for left-leaning political causes, which stands in contrast to attempts to link the attacker to MAGA extremists. The, for example, an American flag with rainbow colors and marijuana leaves can be seen in front of the house. Looking closer, a handwritten Black Lives Matter sign could be seen hanging from one of the home's windows. The attacker, uh, Paul Pelosi's attacker, DePapey, attacked him with a hammer. And the Epic Times reports pending home sales plunge as U.S. housing market gets rocked by high mortgage rates. The number of pending home sales plunged in September due to a soaring mortgage rate, according to data released on Friday by the National Association of Realtors. The group's pending home sales index declined 10.2% last month, far exceeding what analysts had predicted for September. Pending transactions fell 31% year-over-year, it found. It noted that with the Federal Reserve's recent monetary tightening policies and inflation, People aren't looking to purchase homes. And Ground News reports affirmative action under threat as High Court hears UNC case. The University of Northern of North Carolina takes account of race to make up for its supposed sordid history. The Supreme Court seems poised to restrict their use of so-called affirmative action or outlaw it altogether. The court is hearing two cases today involving UNC and Harvard. And the National Catholic Register reports Canada census shows 2 million fewer Catholics as disaffiliation grows. The Catholic population in Canada has declined by almost 2 million people in the last 10 years. The Canadian census has found in a report that indicates the religiously unaffiliated now outnumber Catholics. The latest census figures compiled in 2021 show the Catholic Canadian population has declined 10.9 million. Catholics now make up about 29.9% of the country's people. According to the 2011 census, the Catholic population that year was 12.8 million. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Saint Rose of Lima. Yes, the Saint Rose of Lima. She was uh, at her confirmation in 1597. She took the name of Rose because when an infant, her face had been seen transformed by a mystical rose. As a child, she was remarkable for a great reverence and pronounced love for all things relating to God. This is this so took possession of her that thenceforth her life was given up to prayer and mortification. She had an intense devotion to the infant Jesus and his blessed mother, but before whose altar she spent hours. 
She was scrupulously obedient and of untiring industry, making rapid progress by earnest attention to her parents' instruction, to her studies, and to her domestic work, especially with her needle. After reading of St. Catherine, she determined to take the saint as her model. She began by fasting three times a week, adding secret severe penances, and when her vanity was assailed, cutting off her beautiful hair, wearing coarse clothing, and roughing her hands with toil. All this time, she had to struggle against the objections of her friends, the ridicule of her family, and the censure of her parents. Many hours were spent before the Blessed Sacrament, which she received daily. Finally, she determined to take a vow of virgin virginity, and inspired by supernatural love, adopted extraordinary means to fulfill it. At the outset, she had to combat the opposition of her parents who wished her to marry. For ten years, the struggle continued before she won, by patience and prayer, their consent to continue her mission. At the same time, great temptations assailed her purity, her faith, and her constance causing her excruciating agony of mind and desolation of spirit, urging her to more frequent mortifications. But daily also our Lord manifested himself, fortifying her with the knowledge of his presence and consoling her mind with evidence of his divine love. Fasting daily was soon followed by perpetual abstinence from meat and that in turn by use of only the coarsest food and just sufficient to support life. Her days were filled with acts of charity and industry, her exquisite lace and embroidery helping to support her home. While her nights were devoted to prayer and penance, when her work permitted, she retired to a little grotto, which she had built with her brother's aid in their small garden, and there passed her nights in solitude and prayer. Overcoming the opposition of her parents and with the consent of her confessor, she was allowed later to become practically a recluse in the cell, save for her visit to the Blessed Sacrament. In her 20th year, she received the habit of St. Dominic. Thereafter, she redoubled the severity and the variety of her penance to a heroic degree, wearing constantly a metal-spiked crown concealed by roses and an iron chain around her waist. Days passed without food save a draught of gall mixed with bitter herbs. When she had could no longer stand, she sought repose on a bed constructed by herself of broken glass, stone, potsherds, and thorns. She admitted that the thought of lying down on it made her tremble with dread. Fourteen years, this martyrdom of her body continued without relaxation, but not without constellation. Our Lord revealed himself to her frequently, flooding her soul with such inexpressible peace and joy as to leave her in ecstasy for hours. At these times, she offered him all her mortifications and penances and expiation for offenses against his divine majesty, for the idolatry of her country, and for the conversion of sinners, and for the souls in purgatory. Many miracles followed her death. She was beatified by Pope Clement IX in 1667 and canonized in 1671 by Clement X, the first American to be so honored. Her feast is celebrated on the 30th of August, and she is represented wearing a crown of roses. St. Rose of Lima, pray for us. Today's gospel is from Luke chapter 14, verses 12, 13, and 14. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees. He said to the host who invited him, Can you hold a lunch or a dinner? Do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, 
When you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Lord Jesus Christ. So when I was preparing to read this, I I, kind of started asking myself questions. Are all these parties I'm having wrong? Or can I not have gatherings of friends and family? Should I only entertain the poor? And so I I got very frustrated trying to figure this out. So I turned to those wiser than I. And I began with Father Haydock, who said, Christ does not forbid here, or not here forbid the invitation of friends or relatives, since that would be acting directly contrary to his own maxims and spirit, which read nothing but charity and union. He merely wishes to purify our motives in the disposal of our charity by insinuating that there is no more meritorious in giving to the indigent from whom we can expect no remuneration. St. Ambrose tells us it is only an effect of avarice to be liberal to those who will repay us. So it's really more about what your intentions are and how, how and why you're inviting those you're inviting. Are you, you inviting them hoping to get to their great party, their, their wonderful Halloween party maybe this evening? Or are you inviting them because you just want their company? So it is, and Father Haydock goes on to say, it is our duty as acknowledged even by heathens to assist those who stand most in need of it. But our practice is to be most obsequious to those from whom we expect most, though they want our services the least. Then I turn to Cornelius Alapide, who tells us, the chief Pharisee mentioned in the first verse, whose hospitality Christ recompensed by the spiritual banquet of ghostly counsel and advice, seems to have been inviting his guests in order that he, in turn, might be entertained by them. Call not thy friends, Christ counseled this as the more perfect way. He did not command it as of necessity, for it is lawful, nay meritorious, for us to invite our friends, if it be done out of friendship and kindness. Venerable Bede says, brethren then and friends, and the rich are not forbidden as though it were a crime to entertain one another. But this, like all the other necessary intercourse among men, is shown to fail in meriting the reward of everlasting life. Unless, as I have said, such entertainment springs from a higher motive of brotherly love or charity. Again, it's about your intention. Lest, and, and blessed, uh, Venerable B goes on to say, lest they also bid thee again, like worldly men are wont to do from gratitude or else avarice, or to be hospitable to those who will make a return is. And that was St. Ambrose, but a form of avarice. So, how did the saints put Jesus' words in action? St. Gregory had 12 beggars at his table every time he served a meal. St. Louis of France entertained 120 beggars at his table daily on days 200. In this manner, lots of our saints have gone ahead and modeled behavior. And after this break, we will discuss what concerns us. Have you ever dialogued with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me? It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth. Plain absurdity. Now, the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Doc, where are you taking this car? Great Scott Marty, the Guadalupe Radio Network is saving so many souls, and by donating this car, it helps their future. And it's a great tax deduction. Yes, just call 1-866-628-2277 or go to grnonline.com and click on Donate. That's heavy. No, Marty, not heavy. It's charitable. Flux capacitor not included. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And, you know, you go out into the world, you try and find your own news, try to try to skim through all the news, you realize, whoa, there's a lot of stuff to get to. And most of the time, we hardly ever scratch the surface of the news for the day. But uh, in any case, we created this segment here, this What's Concerning Us segment, to take a deep dive on one particular story, and I found this one quite concerning, and I think you might as well. This story comes to us from the Catholic News Agency, and the headline goes, Are Halloween hellhouses a good way to save souls? They're asking the question. This October, some churches and ministries in the United States are once again hosting Christian versions of haunted houses, and non-believers and believers alike are lining up for some rather existential spine tingling for the first time for are lining up for some rather existential spine tingling experiences for the first time since the pandemic there's a typo here in the article <laughs> popular among evangelical protestant churches in the south these judgmental houses or judgment houses typically stage dramatic representations depicting what happens after people die leaving visitors to ponder whether they themselves are headed for heaven or hell, and presumably to act accordingly. Is this a good way to save souls? The author asks. Some Catholic experts in evangelization who spoke to CNA have reservations. And it's not surprising to me. Uh, we, we try very hard not to, to speak about the realities of hell. And maybe it's important for us to take a look at this and ponder and maybe even have a discussion about it in the long term. Because while it's true that uh, in evangelization we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, we have to also remember that there are souls at stake here. And uh, hell is a reality, as well as heaven and purgatory. But the article continues to say the late Jerry Falwell, the Baptist televangelist and founder of the Liberty University in Lynchburg, Lynchburg, Virginia, is credited with hosting the first Judgment House in 1972, which was called Scaremare. Scaremare is still going strong in Lynchburg, where the university's campus ministry stages a production every year around Halloween that draws people from all over the region attracted by the lure of funhouse rooms and scenes of death in order to confront people with the question, what happens after I die? The performance does not disappoint those looking for the sort of adrenaline surge a horror movie produces. As many as 4,000 visitors a night witness gruesome death scenes, including a massacre at a movie theater and a camper who is mauled by a wild animal. According to Josh Coldren, the director of the 2022 production of The Scaremare, the scenes are intended to make people think about their fears and their mortality. And here I'll pause and say this is fantastic. And the reason why we're covering it today is because it's today's Halloween. 
And it's yet another opportunity that in in the wisdom of Holy Mother of the Church, she has produced us an, an opportunity here to think about what happens after we die. Today, for example, is is the the eve, right? This is the 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 vigil before All Saints Day. And after All Saints Day tomorrow, we're going to have All Souls Day, where we remember and recall all of those different souls that have gone on in the light of faith. And we pray for them. We pray for them because there's a lot of them who are in purgatory. So Holy Mother of the Church gives us yet another opportunity to think about our death, to ponder it, to say, this is a reality. And I know I've talked about death a lot. Just ask my mom. <laughs> she thinks I talk about it all the time. But uh, the reality is that when we die, there is, there is a finality. There is something that comes after it. And when we talk about these, these fun houses, these horror mazes that are so common today and popular, we have to look at them and, and, and say, it's not just about being scared about you know, going through this, this house, this experience, but it's about pondering what comes after. Um, you know, Rudy, it's really interesting the, because I saw a number, number of people are very anti this kind of thing. And, and personally, I, I'm not sure what I think about this particular example of it, but the principle of meditating on hell is an ancient, ancient Catholic tradition of the meditation of the four last things. And not only that, but also the sermons of the four last things. It was very common in Advent to preach about the four last things leading up to Christmas. That's Right. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. The other thing that's interesting is a lot of people will know that I make some videos for America Needs Fatima. And so I, I love Our Lady of Fatima. I am very in-depth, uh, dive deep into the messages of Our Lady of Fatima. And one thing that always struck me, and my mother used to tell me this all the time when we were, we were children, you know, she would talk about Our Lady of Fatima and her apparitions, and she would talk about... Yeah. How souls would go to hell like snowflakes. And the thing is, people will say, you know, we shouldn't talk about hell. It's kind of scary. It doesn't really convert people. It isn't really, it's not helpful. We should just talk about mercy. And yes, we should talk about mercy. Mercy is good. It is necessary. Our Lord is infinitely merciful, but he's also infinitely just. And that's what's often forgotten. And Our Lady of Fatima thought it was fitting, thought it was good to reveal to young children, Jacinta, Lucia, and Francesco were children, were young kids, and she revealed to them what hell was like. She looked at them, and Lucia said that if Our Lady did not promise them that they would go to heaven, that they would have died of fright from just mm. looking at hell, and that should inspire something in us to recognize that if it's good enough for Our Lady, then it probably should be good enough for us. That if Our Lady deigned to think that it was a worthy thing to reveal hell to young children, then perhaps we should start speaking about hell more often. Maybe Our Lady is giving us a sign. Because remember, this was one of the first things that Our Lady does. is She shows them hell yeah. and then gives us the rest of the messages. So maybe that is the evangelical way. Maybe that's the evangelical way of Our Lady of Fatima, to present hell first and then present the good news. Because if you don't know the bad news, then what's the good news for? If the bad <laughs> exactly. news is oh, by the yes. way, you're, you're probably going to go to hell, but don't worry, here's the good news. You don't have to go there, and this is how. Exactly. 
You know, the article continues. It says, we talk, we talk about how everyone faces death. Now, this is the person who's the, the production coordinator. But there is hope beyond our fears and hope beyond death. And that hope is in Jesus Christ, Cauldron told Catholic News Agency. I think that's incredibly great to say. You know, I think, I, I, uh, I think these, these Protestants are actually doing something very good here. Now, according to Scaramare's website, over 26,000 people have visited over the years, have made decisions for Christ over the past two decades. Ironically, this house of death points the way points to the way of life. While judgment houses can be a function can function as a memento mori, efficacious reminders of the inev- inevitability of death, some judgment houses, also known as hell houses, have become controversial for taking the idea to the extreme. Now, this is where I, I digress. Graphic scenes such as abortions, extramarital sex, and drug use are sometimes depicted along scene, alongside the, the consequence with these actions, as the sinners are shown condemned to spend eternity in hell. Uh, the way in which we, we present it, I think, is very important. Uh, obviously, those things lead to hell. Scaramare doesn't get into these issues or talk about hell at all, Coldren told CNA. We don't have a scene of hell. We stay away from demons Although we believe those things are real, we just make sure to stay away from them, Cauldron said. And I just think that uh, these these Protestants really have the right idea here, because at the end of the article, it goes on to say that there was a, a Monsignor who was a lead exorcist in the Archdiocese of Washington. And he's also a psychologist and researcher at the Catholic University of America. And he told CNA that the threat of hell isn't effective in this day and age, which is surprising to me. He goes on to say, quote, people today are not convinced or influenced by the threats of hell. The church just really stopped doing that because it just doesn't work, he says. You know, you can do all the hellfire and damnation sermons you want, but people just kind of yawn, Rossetti said. We're trying to emphasize God's love and mercy, which I think is more and more to the point, frankly. And also more of a message that's needed in our day, and I think that started with Pope John the Twenty Third at Vatican II, he said, today... What the message needs to be is of God's mercy and compassion and God's love. This is what attracts people. And this is a sort of core of our mess. This is the core of our message. God loves us and God has saved us out of this love and compassion in Jesus, he said. Now, where I, I disagree here is that he is all outrightly saying we should not even talk about it. And I think that's wrong. Because as Adrian pointed out, I agree with you, Adrian, very much. It has to be both and. If you're just looking at these scenes of hell, obviously it just it just means it maybe makes you a nihilist and, and you say, whoa, what, what, what is all this for? But as you beautifully pointed out, Our Lady of Fatima tells us, you know, you're probably going to go there, as you said, but there's an opportunity for you here, right? And And think of all of the mercy that we have at our disposal. I'll never get tired of saying this. We have... Our entire life. I, I got to go to confession yesterday after about a month or so. We have our entire life. I've met people who have uh, lived in, in a state of mortal sin for 50, 60 years, and they think that at the end of their life, they're going to get that opportunity to reconcile with God. Where? On their deathbed. And we cannot bank on that possibility. God is merciful, it's true, and there's people who have deathbed conversions all of the time, but we can't just presume in God's mercy all the time and say, 
we're going to have that opportunity because God is merciful. He's going to give me an opportunity to, to, uh, to reconcile at the end of my life. Don't take that chance. We have an opportunity today to think about the finality of death. Where are you going to go, dear listener? Will you either go to heaven, dying in a state of, uh, of, of sanctifying grace or purgatory? Or will you die in a state of mortal sin and go to hell? And squander all of the opportunities that you've had to really and truly experience God's mercy, which he pours out for us every single day, most especially in that sacrament of confession. We have to take advantage of all of those beautiful opportunities that God gives us every single day to think about death, to prepare ourselves in a worthy way. Are these hell houses a good idea? I'm going to say yes. I think they're a wonderful opportunity to get people to think about these things, especially secularists. Halloween has become a, a sort of a, a memento mori experience for them. And as Halloween becomes more and more disconnected from the reality that this is a Catholic holiday, that it points to, to the, the, the hallowtide, uh, these three wonderful days, as, as we divert ourselves from that reality, these people are just kind of experiencing the fright and, and the, 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 the entertainment value of it. But I think we should start using these opportunities to tell them there is something at the end of your life and you should prepare for it. Have you ever heard of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ and evangelize to them wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Wise as serpents, there is a reality of hell. Gentle as doves, our Lord has given us all of his mercy, all of these wonderful opportunities to reconcile with him. Praise be to God. See you right after the break. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now, here's a couple more headlines for you. Breitbart reports, 
Florida bans sterilization, mutilation of transgender children. The Florida Board of Medicine voted on Friday to ban the practices of sterilizing and mutilating children in the name of so-called gender-affirming care. Such procedures have been extremely controversial as the public became aware that they are happening to children and learned the lengths American doctors will go to create lifelong patients and therefore streams of income. If you're interested in this topic, please make sure to check out our YouTube page and search for a Don Johnson Ministries. We talked to him just last week about his documentary called Disconnected, which actually tracks the detransition of several teens. Wonderful interview. Check it out. The Blaze Report's assault on inalienable human rights. Literary professionals demand publisher cancel Amy Coney Barrett's book while simultaneously declaring that they care deeply about the freedom of speech. Over 500 individuals in the literary community signed an open letter this month calling for Penguin Random House to cancel Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett's new book. Signatories included Rick and Morty writer, which is a television show I don't recommend, writer Erica Rosby and employees of Barnes & Noble. Random House and HarperCollins. Various publishers, members of the press, and freelance writers also signed the letter. The signatories claimed that publishing Barrett's book would be an attack on international human rights. Therefore, they argued canceling the deal would not be an act of censorship. And the Washington Times reports attack on Salman Rushdie prompts U.S. sanctions against Iranian group. The U.S. is imposing sanctions on an Iranian group that issued a multi-million dollar bounty, otherwise known as a fatwa, on Salman Rushdie in response to the stabbing attack of the British-American author back in August. The Treasury Department has designated the 15 Cordad, the 15 Cordad Foundation a specially designated global terrorist group for offering a $3.3 million reward for anyone who assassinated Mr. Rushdie. The group, which officials say is subordinate to the Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, began publicly offering a, a cash reward in 1989 after the Iranian regime issued its fatwa calling for Mr. Rushdie's assassination in response to his fourth novel, The Satanic Verses. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. And now, joining us via Zoom is our good friend Joe Heschmeyer. He's a Catholic speaker and apologist over at Catholic Answers, and he's joining us today to talk about the Synodal Way. Good morning to you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Heschmeyer. Good morning. How are you? Praise be to God. Uh, doing very well, and thank you so much for your time this morning. You know, there's Absolutely. been a... My pleasure. Of course. There's been a lot of uh, talk lately from the Synodal Way. We're talking uh, a lot about these... Uh, these uh, these uh, these working documents that talk about uh, women priests and the possibility of re-examining uh, deaconesses, and it begs the question: Wasn't this already sorted out by Saint John Paul II? Isn't it a closed question? Why are we still talking about it? What say you, Mister Heschmeyer? Yeah, I think that's uh, well said. Certainly in regards to priestly ministry, so for bishops and for priests. Mm. It's very clear from John Paul II that this is a close question. This is something the church has already decided infallibly. And really, has, this is something the church has already received. Um, to put the matter simply, Jesus had no problem upsetting convention in his day. He associated with women. He associated with Samaritans. He associated even with Gentiles. 
And these things in Jewish culture were shocking and countercultural. The first to receive news of the resurrection was Mary Magdalene and the other women. And so Jesus had no problem incorporating women into his ministry, no problem uh, working with women. And yet, uh, when we come to the 12, it's exclusively men. And when we come even to the first deacons, it's exclusively men. And uh, that isn't just random chance. That's not cultural bias. This is something reflecting the way Jesus understands this ministry. Mm. And I think it's it's a good opportunity for us to consider how we understand the ministry. Because if we think about it occupationally, then by all means, women should be available to do it. If you imagine that being a priest is like uh, being a doctor or a lawyer, well, there are plenty of wonderful female doctors and lawyers. But if being a priest is more like being a father, if you understand it vocationally instead of occupationally, Mm. well, there aren't any good female fathers because there aren't any female fathers at all. Uh, And so this is an opportunity for us to reconsider what do we understand the priesthood to be? The people pushing for women's ordination, I think, are revealing a misunderstanding in, in what Christ intends of the priesthood. Mr. Heschmeyer, you know, this is this is really great. And I think we should return to the it's the priestly ordination thing in a second. But the, the most common objection that we hear when in regards to this is, didn't you know that there are early church documents that refer to deaconesses? And so, therefore, clearly we have women who held major orders. Therefore, we should have major orders today. Uh, could you respond to, to that claim? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is just to admit that it is a better argument than the priesthood one, because you will find women referred to as deaconesses in, in a handful of cases. But there are a couple things to know about this. First, the First Council of Nicaea is really explicit in Canon 19 that they're not referring to women that they consider ordained, because they're refer- they, they refer to a group of women uh, as deaconesses and then say, we mean by deaconesses, such as have assumed the habit, but who, since they have no imposition of hands, are to be numbered only among the laity. That imposition mm. of hands is a laying on of hands. They have not received holy orders, and they are considered laity, but we call them deaconesses. Now, remember, in Greek, this word means servant. So mm. you will often find people using the word deacon in a, a non-strict uh, like context. You know, we, we refer to Christ as a deacon in the New Testament. Mm. But we don't mean there that he had, you know, <laughs> the lowest right, of the three ranks right. of holy orders. What, what did that, so would it be right to associate deaconess more like a proto-nun, a proto-sister? Yeah, so there's two ways that we find the word deaconess used, uh, or three, really. One is, again, those who've assumed the habit, basically. Uh, Two is the wives of deacons, where someone's referred to as deaconesses, uh, even though they didn't have any kind of holy orders and they didn't have any laying on of hands, but he was, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Deacon, basically. Uh, and, And then third, you would have women who helped out in a function similar to what a deacon would do, because in the early church, baptisms were in the nude. And so when women would get baptized, women would help out at that. And those women were referred to as deaconesses because in this liturgical context, they were doing very similar things to what a deacon would do. I see. Now, to bring it to the the modern, what would this role look like in the church today? I'm thinking uh, specifically in the mass, what what would a deaconess actually do? If we're we're looking back into the past and we're seeing, I mean, that's a wonderful example uh, baptisms were done in the nude obviously there was uh you wouldn't want a man there for example if it was a woman getting baptized but what would it look like now 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say this role is obsolete in, in that particular context. You know, the cultural things that gave rise to that are, are obsolete. The role of a deacon's wife still being an influential part of the parish ministry, uh, we still see that. You know, I, I do monthly formation with a group of uh, aspiring permanent deacons, and their wives are invited to come along and often do come along hmm. because the hope is that the husband and wife are, are really a partner in this even though the husband is the one who's actually the ordained member, that there is still a role that his wife ought to play. And then this role is actually referred to uh, in First Timothy 3, the, the, the wife of the ordained. Uh, there's some expectations to go along with that. That's different than having an actual ordained ministry, but there is still a social role. There still is a role uh, in parish life that, that might be played. And just being a good example, having kids that are holy and, and having the family be a model of the parish. Mm, that's a really good point. Yes. You know, when my wife and I were preparing for holy matrimony, it was important for us to seek out uh, couples who were living living their, their Catholic faith in their matrimony, that they were living it out in a very public way, and that they were a good example for us. Perhaps maybe that's the silver lining in this, right? I mean, that, that we can look to these people who are uh, prominent in the parish, and they're they're great examples here, but I fear that, and I think over we're gonna we're gonna reach a break in just a minute here. But in the, in the next segment, I'd like to ask you about there's a a seeming desire for the culture to want to see women ordained. They want to see they want them to have the the merits right. And I'd like to to talk to you and ask you about that after the break. But as we as we close out this particular segment, do you think that this this uh these working documents are actually going to come into fruition in the in the next i don't know five to ten years so it depends which aspect so in terms of do i think there'll be a, a diaconate order created for women i don't and uh, certainly uh, i don't think there's going to be female priests and bishops this is the constant desire of a certain segment of the church they mm. constantly think it's just around the corner and they've been doing this for half a century now and and they have not gotten any closer to their goal. So, you know, they're good at getting the PR going. They're good at kind of drumming up anticipation, mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of the Charlie Brown football moment. Like there's only so many times <laughs> you're going to have that. Oh, look, it's just, it's about to happen. And then it doesn't happen. We, we did this whole thing two years ago and, right. and it didn't happen. Yeah. It's, it's always uh, concerning to me that uh, we give these people a, a pretty wide platform for them to to discuss these things that have already been sorted out by the church. It almost seems as if we're, uh, we're kind of getting to the point where it might be acceptable, but uh, who knows? That would be a very critical moment. Well, right after this break, we're going to continue our conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a Catholic speaker and apologist over at Catholic Answers. We're going to continue this conversation about ordained women and uh, the synodal process right after this break. Don't go away. More Catholic Drive Time coming up next. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching at the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. We're having a wonderful conversation with our friend Joe Heschmeyer. Welcome back to the show, Joe, and uh, thank you again for your time this morning. Right before the break, we were talking about uh, the Synodal Way. We're talking about the ordaining of women, possibly. Has it been a closed subject? It seems uh, it comes up every now and then. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, I think it would be great to have your, your take as an apologist because... There's a lot of uh, people who are looking at the church. You know, the, the church really is indefectible. And they look at these uh, conversations that we're having out in the open. Uh, the synodal way, we talk about ordaining women, we talk about all kinds of enculturation and, and that sort of thing with the world. But I'm wondering as an apologist, you know, this is, these are obviously, this is bad optics. And I, I'm thinking... Do you think that this is an impediment for people who are coming into the church? Well, I do. And I, I think it's an impediment in a couple of ways. One is, as you just said, is an attractiveness to the church. Mm-hmm. There's a segment in the church that's convinced that what we need to do is replicate the, the things we're finding right now in liberal Protestantism. And they think this is going to be a solution to declining numbers in the Catholic church. But if you look at the numbers in liberal Protestantism, they're worse. They're, they're dismal. And yeah. so to to try to solve a problem of, uh, you know, the church is struggling by adopting tried and failed solutions uh, is it beggars belief. But the other thing that I think it does is it actually impedes the legitimate lay call to holiness. What I mean by that is that um, the underlying problem with the push for women's ordination by putting the eggs in this basket, by really pushing in this direction, I think there are broadly speaking two groups of people. There are those who um, are concerned about power. They have that, you know, they're just wanting to have more power in the church, to have more say in the church. Mm. But then there are others who are actually concerned about holiness, that they think, well, if women uh, are going to be full members of the church, they need to be able to be ordained. And that's an incredibly clericalist assumption. And that's something that I think we need to push back against. That there's a legitimate role and vocation of the laity, men and women alike, uh, that isn't something the priest can or should do. And that we focusing on like wanting to be the priest's kind of holiness rather than the kind of holiness you're called to by God mm. is a tremendous danger. So, you know, speaking very broadly in the spiritual life, one of the, the common problems is wanting to be the saint next to you rather than the saint you're called to be by God. And this is, I think, a form of that where we're wanting to be holy in this kind of clericalist way that, well, if I'm going to really be a saint, I got to be ordained. It's like, no, Mm. 
you need to be faithful to the call you have from God. And you can know that God isn't calling you to be ordained because his bride says he's not. And the bride and bridegroom speak with one voice on this. Well said. So, so Joe, I, I am the son of a deacon and uh, saw that relationship you talked about where my parents were doing uh, encounter groups for, for marriage encounters and uh, leading uh, those kind of discussions. And, and my mom was very involved in my dad's uh, vocation and, and went with him to hospital visitations because there were people she could talk to that he obviously could not from a woman's perspective. And, and so I heard that. And you probably sort of answered my question earlier, but we're looking at the modern Catholic church. And if you go to your, your mass down on the corner, you see women's involvement from doing the readings or on the altar, they're, they're, um, they're, um, carrying the sacred body of our Lord Jesus during communion. And they're very, very, very involved in church. And men have been kind of either, we did it to ourselves and we pushed ourselves off to the side or we were pushed to the side. But the one place where men are really thriving is in the diaconate. I, I mean, we have explosive growth in the diaconate. So I was wondering why, why would there even be a call for women to go into the diaconate when we have so many men that are literally waiting in line to get there? Yeah, I think that's very well said. I don't think this is uh, responding to a legitimate need in terms of a, a lack of deacons. Because as you said, it's, it's frankly, it's much easier to get a man to consider the diaconate because uh, married men can pursue this. And so the, the pool of prospective deacons is a lot larger than the pool of prospective priests. Uh, so it, it's there's not a crisis vocationally in terms of the end. Look at the numbers. This is like one part of the church that's been steadily growing in the last half century. Right. But yeah, I, I think even uh, more broadly than that, one of the things that's been identified in this synodal process is that globally there is a gender imbalance, which is to say that Catholic churchgoers are uh, disproportionately female and, and to kind of a startling degree. Now, there are two ways you can then respond to that problem and say, oh, well, look, there's all of these Catholic women and yet male clergy, therefore we need female clergy. Or you can say, hey, look, there's not a lot of men showing up in the pews. Shouldn't we do more to reach out to men? And so instead, by focusing on how do we get women even more involved, how do we, like, it's, it seems to me that it's just radically misjudged the spiritual problem. Because whether a man or a woman isn't ordained is of relatively little consequence to their salvation. Whether a man or woman is even going to church is a much bigger deal. Like, this is a spiritual problem that we should be fighting. And then these men who aren't coming to Mass, it's probably not because they're just hardcore feminists who, who are just so upset to see men on the altar that they, they can't bear it. Uh, and, and I think there's even a, a risk that we are actually pushing men away in, in some regards with this whole push. Uh, and I think I would point here to dioceses that use, parishes and dioceses that use altar boys versus those who've made altar boys and altar girls. And this is an area in which the church has given uh, some leeway. But it's just worth noting what happens demographically to your servers uh, once you open it up. And once there starts to become a critical mass of altar girls, a lot of altar boys drop that. Not only they should, mm -hmm. I'm not defending that. I'm just observing that and saying, if you're worried about the total lack of male participation in the church in many places, the solution there isn't to push the feminist thing harder. That's that's uh, another tried and failed kind of solution. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's really interesting you bring that up because I, I'm i very familiar with uh, this group in Brazil called the, the Heralds of the Gospel. They're not really popular in the U.S., but they started off as an all-male group, but after being petitioned over and over again to allow women to join, they ended up quickly becoming 80% women. Um, and then now they have uh, their vocations of men are are down significantly, and so what you're saying is is demonstrated very clearly there. And that's not to say good or bad about any particular thing, just an observation of of what's happened. But the the one thing I want to bring up is there was a video that came out about a almost almost a decade ago at this point, and we used to when I was in college, we used to make fun of the video and we'd play it all the time. It was called Ordain a Lady. And it was, uh, and so we would play it in the university and we'd just all laugh and we'd sing along with it. It was pretty funny. But one of the lines is really telling. And this is a, such a, uh, and I don't want to impute motive on any particular person, but the movement as a whole is an act of pride to say, I am owed the ordained life. I am owed the priesthood because they have the, the kid is wearing a shirt that says mommy for Pope. Uh, one of the lines of the song is don't listen to St. Paul. Uh, all these things are here and they're, it's an act of pride saying I am owed the religious life or, or the priesthood. I am owed it. And so one of our commenters that just made the comment says, why don't they just pursue a uh, religious life? Why don't they become a sister? Why don't they become a nun? And it's, and I wraps right back into the question of pride and saying being a sister and a nun would require humility to submit yourself to the, uh, to religious life, making the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, whereas the priesthood has a certain prestige about it. And that's what they desire amongst other things. Could you speak about that whole aspect of this uh, this pursuit to say I am owed the religious uh, the priesthood? Yeah, I think anyone, male or female, who who thinks of the uh, holy orders as something that is their due, something that they're owed, uh, that's a huge red flag. That they have a really grave misunderstanding of this. Holy orders and matrimony have this in common. They're both a, a two part discernment process. You can't just go up to a, a young woman that you like at a party and say, uh, you're going to be my wife, no ifs, ands, or buts. I deserve you, so get with the program. It, it would be a, <laughs> an enormous read. Hopefully, if she's got uh, you know, two brain cells to rub together, she immediately says, no, thank you, and walks away. Because <laughs> that person is, is, you know, that's just signaling this person is out of control. And likewise, uh, there's a two-way discernment vocational. That, you know, even for a man, he can say, I think I'm supposed to be a priest. And if the church says, I don't think so, that's it. it it's not like, well, you get to become a priest anymore. And this is one of the reasons why we take things like uh, in, illicit ordinations very seriously, because in a lot of ways, it's the same problem. You'll find occasionally these renegade bishops who will ordain men without the permission of the apostolic see. And that's it's an excommunicable an ex excommunicable offense because it, it's such a breakdown in that two-way process when you just say, well, I want to do it this way. I mean, you, you really arrogate that power to yourself. Wow. So how have our Protestant brethren fared who have ordained women? <laughs> yeah, not well. So if you look at the rates between what's called the mainline churches and uh, compare that to like the evangelical branches, the more conservative forms of Protestantism uh, have fared much better than the mainline churches. And there's a joke within Protestantism that mainline is now sidelined, that you've got churches that in the recent decades have lost a third of their members or more, like just astonishing rates of loss. And meanwhile, if you look not just within Christianity, but I'd suggest even more broadly, 
the which religions are growing, which religions are dying. Uh, Mormonism and Islam are two that have done very well. And what they have in common with conservative Protestantism, with conservative Catholicism, is that there's a, a high call, meaning that you're not supposed to just live your life the same, whether you say yes or no to that. Mm. Those uh, religious systems that look like not practicing, meaning like you believe the same thing you did as a Christian that you did as a non-believer, if that's the way it is, where it's just an hour a week and it doesn't impact your life, those don't last because why would you bother going an hour a week? And so the people who are really bought into a, a lot of these things, I think it's worth looking and saying, well, how are Anglicans doing right now? How are the disciples of Christ doing? How are, you know, these more liberal groups that have gone this way, what are we seeing their numbers like? And at least realize that the, the argument that you're making, if you're pushing women's ordination, is to say, yeah, I know this is going to hurt the church. I know that this is going to cost some numbers in the sense that some souls won't be led to Christ and may go to hell eternally. But I still think it's worth it because I really want to get ordained. And I think that's so, there's something so spiritually detrimental about that kind of selfishness, that kind of narcissism, uh, that it really should be cause for alarm and cause for repentance, I would, I would argue. Boy, you know, very difficult conversation, but, uh, you know, what's the answer here? The answer is astoundingly it's just it, it's just uh, really reverberating in this conversation is vocation you got to live out your vocation god gave you a vocation as a man as a woman that looks very different and for all of our our brethren who are looking into the church who are looking into this wonderful bastion of the sacraments the one holy catholic and apostolic church that our blessed lord founded and they're seeing all of these these bad optics going on just remember the church is indefectible and as much as the gates of hell are railing against the church right now you got to stay true and join up because it's the only way to heaven praise be to god it's going to do it for our first hour this is jesuit father robert mctague host of the catholic current where we bring christ to the world and the world to christ we look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, 
I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know. And now in these past couple of years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to GR. Hi, I'm Father Chad Henry from the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. That was a uh, very sobering conversation with Joe Hashmeyer. Wonderful, wonderful guests. We're so appreciative of his time coming onto the show this morning and uh, talking about the possibility of those deaconettes, priestesses. I think he brings up a really good point. You know, we're looking all around the world for all of these different solutions when really, there really is a simple solution here, and that's to live out of vocations, to invite more men into the priesthood because we need more priests. And we should look at uh, all of the, the causes and reasons why the priesthood is declining instead of trying to find other convenient ways to bring people in to help the very small amount of priests that we have now. It was a wonderful, wonderful conversation there with, with Joe. Uh, if you missed that conversation, you can always check out our podcast feed, which our feeds rather, which are conveniently linked up at GRN online forward slash CDT. And you can listen to the show uh, there, actually, as well. You can also download the Guadalupe Radio Network app, and you can listen to all of the different shows that we have on the radio network. You can listen to CDT. You can listen to everything else. Very good stuff there. You can also sign up for our uh, mailing list, which uh, we send out every single week. Last week, we uh, sent out our, our mailing list with the, the link to our private Telegram channel, which you can join as well. I might send it out this week. Maybe Joe's going to send it out this week. Who knows? But if you want to sign up for that, you can text GRN, GRN, two four two eight two eight, and that'll sign you up for the mailing list. Now, we don't harass your, your inbox. We do it just but once a week. And we also offer you wonderful entertainment. So make sure to sign up for that. But, ah, uh, oh, what an hour, Adrian. You know, Rudy, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the mailing list. Uh, I met a lady at the at the TFP conference in, in, in Pennsylvania who is a CDT Oof. listener. I thought you were going to say you met a lady priest. Uh, no, 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 who is a CDT oh. listener. And she Analyst. said she wished that we harassed her more in the inbox. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, I wish y'all send me a daily email reminding me. Because like, uh, he's like, I don't wake up enough early enough to watch the show live. So I watch uh... it afterwards. And sometimes I forget. And so I said, I wish I would send us an email uh, with the link to the uh, to the live video uh, later that day. And I'm like, man, you're the first person I ever met who wanted more. Emails. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, it's funny when one person, su- yeah, thank, thank you. you for listening. When one person suggests one thing, you follow it, and then another person says, Nah, I don't yeah, like that very yeah. much. So mm-hmm. 
It's a balance, right? It's a balance. Yeah, praise be to God. But no, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good. I love, we love hearing the feedback. So thank you very much for everybody who listens. Oh, yes. Uh, you're the reason why we get up in the morning to do this. Literally, I mean, it's literally for you. If we weren't listening, then we wouldn't do it. So praise be to God. Thank Amen. you very much. God bless you. Well, there's a lot to get to this hour. We have in just a few moments here, we have our good friend Tito Edwards to give us a big breakdown of the big pulpit news that's coming out this, this, uh, this Monday, actually, today. And also, we have our game show coming up in just a few minutes there, where prizes are at stake. Now, if you wanted to call in early, I'm going to give you the number right now. You could call right now and just be on hold. You can call one 757 9424 and you could be the first person on the line today to play our game show. There are new prizes this week, and we draw them on Friday. And today, you have three opportunities to get into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. But in any case, we have our good friend, Tito Edwards. Tito, good morning to you. You're joining us via Zoom. Thank you, Rudy. Hi, Adrian. Hey, Adrian, thanks for, thanks for bringing over Fetterman from Pennsylvania with you. You're welcome. You're welcome. No problem, man. <laughs> Is he here in Texas? No. Yeah, no, no, he's not in Texas. Bring Fetterman. What do you mean by that? Are you, are you saying that I'm stumbling through my words? Tito, no, no, Tito, no. <laughs> that's mean. So what's going on at Big Pulpit today? <laughs> well, there, um, <clears throat> there's been another attack in, in Nigeria on a Catholic wow. village by raiders, probably Fulani uh, herdsmen. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and that's very sad. The city Christians are constantly being attacked there in Nigeria. And, and, and sadly, not, not enough people are even inquiring about what's going on. But I always like to put it at the top uh, because they, they do need some coverage. They do need, people need to know that this still happens today, that we have martyrs pe- uh, dying every day all over the world. Uh, another piece of news today is uh, a Catholic blogger has accused some people in the Catholic church of uh, fostering the attack on, on, uh, on Representative Pelosi's husband in San Francisco because of <laughs> wanting to withhold communion. Wow. That certain blogger, an Anglo-Canadian, uh, tried to walk back his words halfway through. So we, we have that. Um, also, a great article over at Catholic Culture by Peter, by uh, Philip Lawler, Phil Lawler, about uh, the direction that the Pontifical Academy for Life is taking under Archbishop Paglia, yeah, where they, they where Pope Francis assured everyone that we're going to have a more di- diversity in the academy, but but they'll still be rooted in in the uh, in the protection of life from conception to death, and we've seen uh, that not to be the case. Uh, as far as I can count, four uh, publicly known pro-abortionists are of the 14 uh, members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, and it just gets worse every day. The head director herself is an atheist, pro-abortionist, and is publicly on public social media platforms lambasting the pro-life position. So we yeah. have that to contend with. So, uh, yeah, no news is good news, but, but that's what, we're, <laughs> what we have today. Yeah, there's always uh, something coming out from the Pontifical Academy for Life. I think we're going to have a, a, a longer discussion about that at the end of the week. 
But I love that you brought up the the poor Nigerian Christians because I think we've become really, really comfortable in our faith. You know, we take it for granted that we have the opportunity every single day, not just on Sundays, to go to Mass. And to do that without relatively any any sort of uh, encroachment from the state or groups who are preventing us from going to Mass. But it's it's really sad to hear about these Christians who, who well, it's sad and also gives us hope. It's sad to hear about their plight because not a lot of people talk about them. And even Christians aren't really involved or uh, aware of what's going on with them. But also it gives us a ray of hope that these Christians being persecuted by their faith can know that that uh, they have hated Christ first and they have some sort of comfort there knowing that their life is united to that suffering of our blessed Lord. Yes, uh, exactly what you just quoted. uh, The world hated him first before us. And uh, being a witness to Christ, by our joyful living, by our witness to the faith, we bring we draw other people in. We also draw attention of the devil mm. and uh, other people that do not like us, and and it's happening everywhere. And 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 on a, on the same point, but a different continent. Over the weekend uh, in California, I believe in Sacramento, there was an attack on a Catholic church where they broke into the church and destroyed statues, uh, the altar. Uh, icons and other paintings inside the church. I didn't even hear about this. And, and this is, yes, it's, uh, I think I, it, it's on a big pulpit under America or, or under top stories. And, uh, it is so, so sad to see that this is, it, it's getting local coverage in California, but I, I stumbled across it because I, I, I subscribe to some local news outlets. And I found it. it. It's not getting national media attention, just like the attacks in the pro-life pregnancy centers. We've we've had um, a numerous bombings, attacks, uh, uh, destruction of property, and it's not mentioned one iota at all on any major news platform. Wow, so that is it, horrific. It happens. I'm watching it. I, I pulled it up. I went to bigpulpa.com, and it's right there under America. Caluso Church vandalized Catholics targeted with hate crime. Wow, that is horrible. They they really really did a did a number on the church. That is, and the fact that no one talks about it. It's very interesting. We we live in a society obsessed with hate crimes, obsessed with hatred and talking about how these people are so hateful and things like that and how we need to be tolerant of others. But as soon as, and, and they'll run with any kind of hoax. If there's a, we see this all the time where there's a rope uh, hanging that is to open garage doors and people will freak out and say that's a noose and it's a hate crime to have a rope that brings up and down the uh, garage door. <laughs> but when someone comes into a Catholic church and destroys the church, like this is, I am like flabbergasted at how much damage they did. Like that is really, really bad. And nobody talks about it. I can't, like, I didn't, if it wasn't for bigpopa.com, I would not have even heard about this. Like you're saying, it's not getting national coverage. Mm. Uh, what do you think about that relationship, Tito Edwards? Well, it's, I've seen living uh, 
couple, I'm just being one or two years older than you, Adrian and Rudy. <laughs> I, I've seen. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not seen anything like this the last five to seven years of an increase of vandalism, on an increase of attacks on clergy and lay people, uh, as I've seen now. The, before the five or seven years uh, previously. And, and it is just uh, another piece of evidence of the rise of the demonic in this yeah. country. People, people who do those kinds of things are, are inspired, are being uh, driven by demons. That, I mean, there is nothing else that I can think of that can explain for that. And, and the antipathy towards what's happening to Catholics and the, the lack of inquiry among the, the national media, that's just, that, that doesn't, that is just like, I'm just flabbergasting. It's just so difficult to have to read and, and, and find these articles constantly on the attacks of, of, uh, of Holy Mother Church yeah. that, that it, it's just uh, it's becoming normal for us but, but the wider audience outside of our Catholic circles are unaware of this and I think at it, all yeah I agree with you Tito I, I think also we have to realize that this is happening and form little leagues in our, our parishes you know, have someone have someone there at the parish that's available. Uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, possibly able to to do that and spend a few hours in the church, maybe in in adoration, and start that up so that we can at least have people in there and dissuade people from coming in and just completely ransacking the place. How did they get in in the first place? I wonder. Most of these times, you know, some of them break in. Well, it's that's true, but also sometimes the doors are just open. And I think it's good to have the doors open for the for the church, you know, so people can come in and and spend time with the Blessed Sacrament with our Blessed Lord. But at the same time, we're we're becoming very lax in thinking that oh we're we're in a, we're in a nice neighborhood, nothing like that would ever happen. But uh, in in these last minutes, uh, I just want to know what's the connection between uh, Paul Pelosi's attacker and the Catholic Church? Is there any credence to this story that you mentioned? No, there's there's a lot of speculation, and that's why a lot of people are just backtracking on this at the moment. But it's honestly uh, upsetting to see how much coverage this is getting when you had a radical Democrat show up at the doorstep of just Chief of of Justice Matt Kavanaugh, looking to kill him with uh, twist ties a knife and, and, uh, and a gun in his backpack. And then the story faded from the, from the, uh, from the national media after one day, here we are day three or four and they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at anybody that they don't like, <laughs> such as the Catholic church. So it's, it's just, it's, it's silly season. Yeah, for sure. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk about that particular story because it's a developing story. But uh, what we have heard is that they're trying to to pin this on conservatives and say, well, it was the conservatives that hyped this guy up. And he then therefore went with a hammer and started striking Paul Pelosi, looking for Nancy Pelosi, too. But uh, in reality, the guy is living in a hippie commune with uh, BLM uh, flags and, uh, and and gay pride flags in his car. That's not a conservative agenda at all. Well, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> in any case, thank you so much, Tito Edwards. God bless you and Mary keep you. BigPulpit.com if you want to check out his uh, his news roundup there. 
BigPulpit.com. But right after this break, we have our game show. Make sure to call right now, 1-877-757-9424. You could be the first person online to win this week's prize. In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord, and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. And now it's our it's it's time for our game show. Fear and trembling. And uh, some might say it's hammer time. <laughs> I just got that comment from our, our good friend, uh, Return to Tradition, here on YouTube. You could join us on our social feeds, by the way, and uh, join us for the after show right after this segment. But uh, look, there are new prizes at stake here. And I would love to tell you what the prize is. But first, we need a caller on the line. So call right now, one 877 757-9424. You could be the first person in line. Adrian Fonseca is waiting to get your call right now. And you can go into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence three times this week. Now, as Joe mentioned, there are secrets and agendas when it comes to fear and trembling. And I hope that you won't tell anybody because I'm telling you this in confidence. So make sure to turn off all of your recording devices. I don't consent you to record this. That goes for you, too, Adrian. Take us off the air. It's too late. We're recording. Oh, dang it. Well, there are secrets and agendas, as he says. Now, one of those is 
you don't even have to know the answers to the questions we're going to ask. Because I'm going to ask Adrian, and I'm going to ask our good friend Mike Koniger, who is happily joining us today to fill in for Joe. I'm going to ask them all the questions. And one of them is going to tell us the truth, and another one is going to be very sneaky. Now, Mike has the distinction of being quite sneaky. So I'll give you that as a, a little clue. But first, to play this game, we need somebody on the line. one 757 9424 If you haven't played in the last month or so, you can call us right now. one 757 9424 Now, every correct answer goes into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize, which happens to be a really lovely uh, listener-sponsored prize. And we're happy to give those away. If you ever want to become a sponsor for our game show, you can get in contact with me, Rudy at grnonline.com. It looks like might might have somebody on the line there. So let me tell you about this prize. This was generously given to us by one of our dear listeners, Gloria Lopez. And she has sponsored this week's game show with one of these beautiful Every Sacred Sunday journals. It's a beautiful journal. I'm looking at it. I love books. It's beautifully bound with uh, gold gilding. It's specifically for the beginning of this year, which starts in Advent. And every journal entry has the scriptures of the particular Sunday and space for you to journal. And it's a fantastic opportunity to, to journal during the Mass because you can write down all of those, those holy inspirations that you get through the scriptures, during the homily, and you have the, the mass readings there in a very convenient space for you to, to keep track of them. So thank you so much, Gloria Lopez, for sponsoring our game show this week with this Every Sacred Sunday journal. Thank you so much. God bless you, and God reward you. But it seems like we do have somebody on the line right now to play our game show. Adrian, who do we have on the line? We have Samantha joining us from... Forney, Texas. Samantha, hopefully I got the name of your city right. I was struggling to hear it a second ago. But good morning, Samantha. Good morning. How are you today, Samantha? How are things in Forney, Texas? Uh, things are good. Now, work. what is uh, Forney, Texas known for? Uh, it's antiques. Antiques? Antiques, really? Well, guess who's going to be having oh, to man. take a trip to Forney, Texas? I love antiques. I'm going to go get myself a, a new dresser, maybe a, some bed frames. I, I like... Do y'all, got, do y'all have good statues? Oh, yeah, Catholic antiques? Yeah, we have a... We have a... Liberty, a little... That went to enter Forney. Some antique that have there. Well, okay. uh, why don't we take off the rest of the week, go yeah. to Forney, Texas? Join drive over Forney. How's that? Get some statues. Uh, Joe can fill in for us. No I might problem. have to do that. <laughs> Praise be to God. Samantha, where do you go to, to Mass there? Uh, I go actually in Garland. I go to Good Shepherd Catholic Church. Very nice, very nice. Maybe one day I'll get to see that parish. But in any case, have you ever played this game show before? No. Okay. Would you uh, Would you like me to explain how to play it? Uh, no. Uh, I listen to the radio. Very good. All right. Well, then I suppose She's I will ready. begin with our good friend, Mike Koniger. Mike, good morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning again. As the resident CDT antique, I am here to answer those questions. <laughs> <laughs> Praise be to God. Mike, you are not wearing a tie, which I'm not. Uh, is a bit sneaky to me. You're trying to be different, Mike. I- I'm always sneaky, so it doesn't matter whether I have a tie on or not. All right, Mike, are you ready to play? I'm ready. Let's rock and roll. All right, question number one, Mike. 
What was the name of the Russian Pope in 1958 in the 1958 movie The Shoes of the Fisherman? Oh, wrong question, Rudy. Wrong question here. I got the wrong question here, Adrian. Let's see. Where have you put the question? Which here? Pope? Ah, yes. Vatican here Library. it is. Which Pope founded the Vatican Library? Oh, that's an easy one, and everybody knows this. This was Pope Nicholas V, and it was about the mid-1400s. Hmm, Pope Nicholas. Huh? I don't know. Yeah, let's get a second opinion here. Adrian, which Pope founded the Vatican Library? Yeah, the Vatican Library. Well, you know, as someone who identifies as having a PhD in libraries, um, I know it's, it's a pretty niche topic, um, but nonetheless, that would be... Pope John the Twenty Third. He founded the Vatican Library. Before that, the Vatican had no libraries. Actually, interesting. Yeah, fun fact. So, huh. I wonder what kind of books they put in there. And is it like Barnes and Noble? You just get whatever's new, whatever's a Percy, trending. A lot of Percy Jackson. All right. Well, you got options here. Adrian says it was Pope John the Twenty Third, and Mike says it's Pope Nicholas the Fifth. What say you? Um. Um, Nicholas. Nicholas. Hmm. <laughs> Are you sure? Ha <laughs> <laughs> You got it. Nailed it. Nicholas the fifth. Got it. Samantha, you Easy. are in for one, and clearly you are very, very wise and hard to trick. <laughs> oh, very nice. Go, Grandpa. Well, when uh, all else fails, just go for Grandpa. All right, moving on to Adrian. Adrian, I'm going to start with you for this second question. Okay. How many degrees of order are there to Kevin Bacon? Just kidding. To oh. the ordination of a priest. Ah, yes. There are seven orders leading to priest. Those are uh, often not known about. Usually hmm. uh, people forget. You know, you have your your porters, your acolytes, oh. your exorcists, your lectors. These You're are talking called, about those minor orders. Those are called minor orders, and then you have your subdeacon, your deacon, and then your priest. Mm. So seven. I'm going with seven. Okay. Let's see what Mike has to say. Mike, how many degrees of order are there to ordination as a priest? But you know, seven is complete, but perfection is three. So it is uh, three. That happens to be my favorite number. So three, three degrees there. All right. Samantha, slightly tricky question here. How many degrees of order are there to ordination? As a priest, uh, Adrian says seven. He's including the minor orders that have since sort of been uh, swept under the rug. And Mike says the number three because it's perfect. What say you, Samantha? Um, I would say uh, three. Three. Hmm. Oh! Oh! oh. I'm sorry. Mike, there you go. Mike, you feel good about that? <laughs> feel good? I feel, you feel really good about what about you did. Don't worry, Samantha. Don't worry. You're already in once, and I'm sure you'll get this next one right. Mike is so tricky. But yeah, there Samantha. are seven. We have the minor orders, then the major orders, and uh, and even now there would be the only one before you get to priest. It would be deacon, then priest. True, true. Yeah. All right, Samantha, you're in for one, but here's another opportunity to go into the coffee cup of divine providence. With this next question, the last question, I'm going to go back to Mike. And I'm going to ask you, Mike, what refers to the provision of the necessities of life? Food, oh, clothing, shelter for a member of a religious order. 
Easy peasy. Maslow. It's called a Maslow. Maslow. Hmm. Maslow. Never heard that before. Doesn't sound like a an ecclesiastical term here. Let's go to It's Adrian. a Greek word. It's a Greek oh, word. It's, it's Greek. All right. Well, let's ask Adrian here. What refers to the provision for the necessities of life, that being food, a clothing, shelter, for a member of a religious order? Right, yeah, that's called an element, or an aliment. Aliment. Can't say words. Uh, yeah, so that's a something that nourishes. That's what it means. So there you go. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, I could see the, the Latin word there, aliment, uh, yeah, to, to, to kind of need that stuff. Well, you have options here, Samantha. Is it aliment? As Adrian says, or is it Maslow? As uh, our good friend Mike says, Maslow isn't that a law of some sort? Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, Adrian. Adrian. Praise be to God! You're in Way for two. Go, Samantha. See, you always, always bank on Adrian. That's what they, they always say. I don't know who they are, but they always say. Who's they? Yeah, don't worry, Samantha. <laughs> it's a well-known fact established by the science that those who guess Adrian is right are ten times more attractive, ten times smarter. Uh, they run fast right here. It's a, this is scientifically proven. Don't question it. Trust the science. Trademark over the S. That's according to Adrian there. Samantha, you are in for two. Don't go away. We're going to put you right on hold. Then we'll get your information to uh, get... Get you in for the Coffee Cup Divine Providence to win this week's prize. Praise be to God. Thank you so much for playing with us. And that's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time today. We really enjoyed you tagging along with us. It's more Catholic Drive Time coming up this week. But we are going into our after show, which means it's the end of our show. And you can join us on any of the streaming platforms. They're all linked up at grnonline forward slash cdt. You can have a conversation with us live. You can interact with us and uh, give us all of your hot takes about women's ordination. But in any case, God bless us and God love us. Mary keep us. We'll see you tomorrow, God willing, on more Catholic Drive Time. for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. I shall now forever be, O most holy Trinity, undivided unity, holy God.
mighty God, God immortal be adored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord, our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, by whose gift your faithful offer you right and praiseworthy service, grant, we pray, that we may hasten without stumbling to receive the things you have promised. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, Humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In you, O Lord, I have found my peace. In you, O Lord, I have found my peace. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. I busy not myself with great things nor are things too sublime for me. In you, O Lord, I have found my peace. Nay, rather, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child, like a weaned child on its mother's lap, so is my soul within me. In you, O Lord, I have found my peace. O Israel, hope in the Lord, both now and forever. In you, O Lord, I have found my peace. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. If you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, says the Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. 
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees. He said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors in case they may invite you back and you have, and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is All Hallows Eve. Of course, tonight, there's many people who will go out to either trick-or-treating or dress up in different things. Uh, I, I like the fact that in many elementary schools, they have the children dress up as superheroes. That's better than probably the kind of the ghoulish thing that some adults will dress up or high schoolers will dress up in. Uh, it reminds us of the fact that, especially though in Catholic schools or some Catholic families and parishes, they have a, really kind of an all-saints party. That is, they have the young people to dress up in saints, and sometimes to even have some kind of little ex exposition of what the, of the, the life of that saint. I think that's important because when I was uh, in middle school and high school, actually from when I was very young, I was involved in theater, particularly musical theater, but there were, you definitely had to prepare yourself to do the part. And uh, inevitably, you would, whatever part you were playing, if it was good, then you, you tended to be sort of exhibit good qualities of that particular character. And if you were more evil, then uh, you, you tended to sort of, well, take on the aspects of that character. The same thing, I guess, we could say is something like this evening of All Hallows' Eve. If we dress up as sort of ghoulish things, then we're most likely to kind of imitate those qualities. But if we take, try to put on the mind and the, the heart of the saints, we'll, we will inevitably begin to imitate that. Yeah, it's something that St. Paul is trying to say. He says, uh, by humbly regarding others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. That's the saints. That is the saints. To have the mind and spirit of Jesus Christ. It's kind of amazing that he says something like that, that to, to really sort of humbly regard others as more important than ourselves. He first says by you know being the same mind, the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Where does that ever happen? What happens is probably one important place, and that is when we all gather to celebrate the Eucharist. Jesus is the one whom we are then focused upon, and we all have one mind and heart because we're there to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then we're looking sort of not hopefully not for our own gain, because we really can add nothing to God's glory, but we receive the very gift of praise itself. And in turn, by giving him praise, we are elevated and lifted up. And it's only out of that service, by lowering ourselves, that we come to really understand the spirit of Jesus Christ. St. Paul is going to say this really in the, in the tomorrow, where he says, you know, if uh, have with you the same spirit of Jesus Christ, that though he was God, he humbled himself, he emptied himself. It's something that touches upon what Jesus says in the gospel today. Now, this, there's a little bit of a background this is, Jesus goes to dine at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. And in fact, there's many things that happen here. First, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, which causes a great stir at this Pharisee, leading Pharisee's house. That's the first thing. 
And then on Saturday, Jesus reminds that he turns to those who were invited, to the guests, and he says, not to look for the highest place, but to look for the lowest place. And if you if you find the lowest place, then then your the guest the, the the person who invited you says, well, friend, come higher. And then Jesus looks now he he speaks now to the leading Pharisee himself who invited him. Now he's not taking a, a, a out of the, he's not taking something out of the playbook of the Dale Carnegie how to influence friends and win and win peoples because that's not how you do that by by turning to the to the person who invited you or biting the hand that feeds you in a sense and then saying something to the effect where don't invite people who, so that they can repay you uh, but invite those who can't repay you. Why did the Pharisee in fact even invite Jesus? Well, you look at a couple of chapters before, and there, were, there was just this huge throng that was following Jesus that they were even trampling upon one another. Why did the Pharisee invite Jesus? Maybe because if he thought that if he invited him, uh, he, maybe some of that uh, honor and uh, fame would rub off on him. Or he'd be able to now be able to come to different people, uh, that he would be in, more influential for the people around. But Jesus is going to say, when you invite people, don't, don't invite him for that but invite the lame, the sick, the crippled, the poor, the blind. Isn't that actually the, the, the very people whom Jesus invites to his banquet? It's not us. To come to the banquet of the Lord. He invites us who are poor. We have nothing really, nothing much to give to the Lord but ourselves. And that's, that's not much. The crippled. We, we come in sometimes one-legged. We are lame. But that uh, you know, not not in sense not in sort of the bad sense of like that that's a lame, but rather we sometimes we we the works of our hands are are imperfect and adequate, and we're blind we don't see things so clearly. That is the ones whom Jesus invites to come to worship Him, so that He can fill them with His great goodness. Cardinal Mary Duval had this one uh, beautiful he called a litany of humility. I think it sort of captures what Saint Paul says in that first reading and what Jesus says in the Gospel. He says, he asks that Jesus would grant us the grace to desire that others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. To grant, the, to grant Jesus the grace to desire that others may be chosen and I set aside. To grant me the grace to desire that others may be praised and I unnoticed that others may be preferred to me in everything. And finally, he says that, I, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. What a way to, sell, to empty ourselves of ourself in order to be raised up by Jesus Christ. It is only in this sort of way down that we come to really to, to, be, to have the same mind and heart of Jesus, the same spirit of Jesus Christ. How can we practice this today? Who is one person, in fact, what is, who is one person who we would least likely want to sort of humble ourselves before, you know, who we, who, who we would think that uh, was that least attract us, that we could really be the servant, to be a servant of, not, to, not so that they can lord it over us or have control over us, but have the spirit of Jesus Christ who came not to serve, but uh, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. May we too humble ourselves in the very spirit of Jesus Christ that is shown to us in the word of God today.
We stand now for our prayers to our Heavenly Father. We pray for the Holy Church of God, for the needs of the Church. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for his intentions. We pray to the Lord. Let's pray that those who govern us may be concerned not only for the needs of their own nation, but especially for those who are most vulnerable and the most needy. That they may respect and act laws that respect life. We pray to the Lord. Let's pray that we, the holy people of God, would imitate the saints who humbled themselves, having the same mind and spirit of Christ. We pray to the Lord. Let us pray for those who are suffering and who are sick, who are in need of God's healing touch. We pray for those who are dying, that they may be prepared to receive the eternal reward that the Lord uh, promised, has promised them in their baptism. We pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, for their personal intentions, for those who have asked them to pray for them. We pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers we bring you this day and grant them according to your holy will through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. For the earth, the work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you fruit of the vine, a work of human hands, become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice of your hands for the praise and glory of his name. May these sacrificial offerings, O Lord, become for you a pure oblation, and for us a holy outpouring of your mercy, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, in him you have been pleased to renew all things, giving us all a share in his fullness. For though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, and by the blood of his cross, brought peace to all creation. Therefore he has been exalted above all things, and to all who obey him has become the source of eternal salvation. 
And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahot, Plenis Uncele et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. You never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The history of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints, on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, 
with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. And the suffrage of the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. You will show me the path of life, the fullness of joy in your presence, O Lord. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. 
since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come to me, but speak the word of comfort, my spirit healed shall be, and humbly I'll receive thee, the bridegroom of my soul. No more by sin to grieve thee, or fly thy sweet control. Eternal Holy Spirit, unworthy though I be, Prepare me to receive him, and trust the word to me. Increase my faith, dear Jesus, in thy real presence here, and make me feel most deeply that thou to me art near. My hope in thee now strengthen, O Savior of my soul. Lest by temptation blinded, I turn from my true goal. Let us pray. May the working of your power, O Lord, increase in us, we pray, so that renewed by these heavenly sacraments, we may be prepared by your gift for receiving what they promise through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Espes Nostra Salve, A Te clamamus, Exules Filii Hebe, A Te Suspiramus, The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen.
celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Perfect for Christmas gift giving. Now a silly Halloween joke. Why did the skeleton cross the road to get to the body shop? Of course. (laughs) I told you it was silly. God bless. Have a safe day. Hi, this is Catherine, Cormac, Henry, and Reagan. We attend Holy Rosary in Midtown. And you're listening to 1430 AM Radio, Radio for Your Soul. KSHJ Houston. Connection 